We're going to continue on our last week in a sermon series called Catch-22, and there's this idea of how we might be able to share the gospel in 2022. It also is a play on the words. If you've ever heard Catch-22, you know, you're uh, doomed if you don't and doomed if you do. This idea that, hey, we're going to fail either way, so we're not fail trying, and so let's try some things and see how it works. This is the, the last week in the series, and I've been sharing with you that what we want to do is look at what the Bible has to say about how we can, and I actually already do share our faith, to reach our friends, family, neighbors with the gospel. And we looked at a few models already. I'm going to recap real quick where we're at, and then we're going to close today with a really radical idea that is hard to get our heads around about what it means to follow Jesus. So the first thing that we talked about was that Jesus told his disciples, I will make you fishers of men, right? And that's going to be his work in our lives. It's not like we're going to muster it, but he's going to do it for his namesake, like we just prayed in Jesus' name. The second thing is that when the church gathers, and that means Family Bible Church, the the Little C Church and the Big C Church all over the world gathers together to praise Jesus, we are witnessing in the communities, like uh, Chris just shared about Darlene's experience and our own, that our neighbors see us get up and leave every day. Our people see us when we're loading and loading out here. Um, I drive by twice now, I've seen... um, uh, what's it called, Restore Church, going the other way with their trailer, and we honk and wave at each other, you know? It's like the workers are in the fields, and that's a witness, if nothing else, to one another, but also, I believe, to others who maybe are watching that we don't know, and so we already are sharing the gospel by gathering together and worshiping. Then last week, we talked about this idea that to go out and be where people are, and I mentioned to you last week, and for those of you who submitted ideas already, I wanted to do 12 for 22, which is to get 12 ideas for 2022, how we might go out and be where people are, and I don't want to hold it up as like, that's the pinnacle, because I think that it's based in our own faith in Jesus, what he's doing in our lives, worshiping together, and then living in the community. And so for those of you who already submitted things, I want to say thank you. For those who, who uh, haven't yet, I want to encourage you to still submit things till the end of January, and we're going to kind of run through, try to do about one a month, and it's not going to be some big program thing. The ideas that have come in have been so kind of widespread already, this can be some things we can do personally, individually, but, you know, as a church, and things we can do in a larger setting. And so thank you for that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, about any of this, it means you're not getting our emails or our texts or our church app because I put it out on Twitter. It's everywhere. So you should have seen the link this week and I'll be sending it again this week to remind everybody again. So if you didn't get it, talk to me and I'll find out why you're not getting those things um, because we would love to hear your ideas as well. Um, and so, and then this, this last week is the final week, and I, I, I've been sharing this funny video of the drone fisherman, and for those of you who missed the whole, the, the, or missed what we've experienced, there's a spoiler, he catches a fish with a drone. So I'm not going to re-show you anything, but I want to show you, because you might think what's over, he ran up, remember he had the fish, he's like, Marion, Marion, look, look, you know. Um, but I, I want you to see, what, what would be the next thing you would do when you caught that fish? And I think this is so funny and counterintuitive. What's the next thing you would do once you caught this prize fish? I'm going to show you what this man does. I guess we can't get audio on this. Okay. He basically says, hurry, 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 hurry. Take a picture, take a picture. Because he wants proof, even though he's got a video on his head. Now, this guy just struggled to get it out of the water. Remember it, it, that moment where it's like he almost lost it getting it off the hook? It's, it's the biggest bass he's ever caught in this lake, he says. Maybe the biggest bass of his life. I don't know. And there it goes. 
And I know and Kramer would be like, why don't you mount that fish? <laughs> that's what, why, why not mount that? But this dude, and I'm not saying that's the way. I think that's, uh, I don't know if we're done there. Without the audio, it doesn't matter. But it's this idea that at the end of it all, he just lets the fish go back where the fish came from. We talked about what it would be like to experience that, to be pulled out of the water and ran up. And and, and last week, if you had any anxiety about that fish, breathing the air where it belongs in water and freaking out, but then the fish gets returned to its natural environment. And I wanted to ask the question then and thinking about how we... um, we make disciples of Jesus, or we are, I should say, disciples of Jesus, that he makes us fishers of men. What does the model look like for post-evangelism life? Or what's the model look like when someone has come to faith in Christ? Because for many of us, we have made a commitment to Jesus, and so now the question is, so what does my life look like, and what would someone else's life look like if I were around for that? So that's gonna be the last part of the series we're gonna talk about from the Bible, the models that we see in uh, behavior. I want to spoil it a little bit, and then we're going to pray. In John 8, 36, Jesus says, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for your freedom in the gospel, the hope that this life is not all there is. We've already talked about that this morning, that there is eternity coming, that we can live freely now with the full expectation of glory forever. Father, the gospel hope is more than a temporary um, thing, a temporary solution. It's an eternal solution to an eternal problem. And so today, Father, would you teach us that? We ask you to come and to, to just, your Holy Spirit, be with us and teach us that we would learn from you, from your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to ask you to turn to John 21. This is kind of where we started in this series. Well, it was the end of the first week. We talked about Jesus will make us fishers of men. In the beginning of John 21, just to catch you up on this, the disciples have, this is Jesus is dead and been crucified and buried, crucified, died, and buried, and the disciples have gone back to fishing, right? After all the miraculous things that have happened, they're back to fishing, and you know the story where they catch these fish. Have you caught any fish? Not yet. Fish over here, and they catch all these fish. We talked about that in week one, but this week I want to pick up um, in uh, John twenty-one fifteen, where Jesus addresses Peter after they come and they eat. So you remember they ate fish on the beach. It says, I'm gonna pick up in 14. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we're getting back to life as normal, right? And you know this story, but I want, I want to remind you of Jesus' post-resurrection instructions to his church. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you Truly love me more than these. Well, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus asked Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, I've, had people, I've heard people preach this and say, does he mean more than these disciples? Does he mean more than these other people? Or does he mean more than these fish? <laughs> do you love me more than the stuff in your life? Do you love me more than the vocation in your life? And, and, and Peter answers, yes, you know that I love you. Listen to the words. You know I love you. Peter's all in with Jesus. Here's his instruction then. Feed my lambs. You know the story. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter answers the same way. Yes, Lord, 
you know that I love you. And in my translation, Jesus responds, take care of my sheep. Well, the third time then, Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now listen to the word. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus responded, feed my sheep. I want to know what is going on here with Jesus. One of the things that we do know, I won't spend much time on this, is that Peter had denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion. Because Peter was watching, but didn't want to sacrifice himself. He didn't want to be involved in what was about to happen. He wanted to know, but not participate in the gospel that Jesus was unfolding before the crucifixion, you see. And so he denies him three times. And, and this repetition of three times here is Jesus loving Peter enough to restore him. But I also want to talk about this, that how does Jesus say Peter will be restored? And it's by feeding his lambs, by taking care of his sheep, by feeding his sheep. What is the Now, by the way, he's talking to a fisherman, right? I'm going to make you fishers of men, and now I'm going to make you caretakers of my sheep. This is Jesus's call to Peter. What's it mean for us? There's a reality that when we come to know Christ, we become caretakers of one another, that it's part of God's plan for us that we would be part of the gospel, that we would be part of letting people know that he loves them. And, it's, and you might take that and go, well, my sheep means those that Jesus, that there are disciples of Jesus, my sheep, these guys right here, do you love me? Then take care of these. But there's this timelessness to the discipleship with Jesus, that every person who belongs to him, listen now, will come to him. That those who don't yet believe him today, right now, Family Bible, will come to know Jesus. And that, that therefore, part of our job is to love them, to care for them. It's as if we should treat everyone as though they belong to Christ. We're going to talk about that, by the way, how that actually works out. Part of this is that Jesus is calling his disciples to care for one another, right? But then the second thing is that he's restoring Peter, Peter's failure to try again. I gotta tell you, this gives me great hope <laughs> because I don't know if you're like me, but I seem to screw this up all the time. And I read this passage and I say, and Jesus gives Peter another chance. Do you love me? You know that I love you. Didn't care for my people. Do you love me? You know that I love you. Didn't feed my people. This repetition that Jesus gives Peter is as much to encourage Peter to try again. If he said it once, well, okay, three times, do you love me? I want to say something here. Because we are caring for one another, because we're believing in Jesus, does not mean we're perfect right? I just told you Peter screwed up and got restored, right? And we are not perfect. As a matter of fact, we are co-learners. The word for disciple in the Bible is methetes, and it means a learner. And so if you're learning with Jesus, it means you're always learning with Jesus. That means that the care is for one another, not that I'm caring for you and you're not caring for me, but that we are caring for one another as we learn together what it means to follow Jesus. So the question then is how 
can you show love to God's people in your life? Or how can we show love to God's people in our lives together? A few weeks ago, I got an email from our friend Brian Schrader. The Schraders are serving in Chad, Africa, and where they're trying to share the gospel with the majority Muslim nation. Um, you know the story a little bit about this, but this was Brian's post-Christmas letter. He actually sent it on the 26th of December, and, and he wrote this letter from a place of celebration. They had just opened their home to the community because of Christmas. You can imagine no one is celebrating Christmas. Um, and they invite the neighborhood kids to come in and everything. And I wanted to read you an excerpt because I was so blown away. And I asked Brian, could I share this? And he said, I could. But here's Brian's recounting, Brian um, and Becky and their family, of opening their home for the Christmas celebrations with the people of Chad. We probably had about 50 kids come through our house as well as a few teenagers. The kids played in our yard. They swung on our swing set. They colored pictures, and they got little presents, and they all got to hear the story of Jesus' birth. Now, Brian, in his newsletters, and if you don't get them, I'd encourage you to get them, he sent multiple pictures. I'm never sure what I can and can't share, but I brought one today to share with you. These are some of the kids who, this is in their home. This is their personal swing set. And, uh, and it makes quite the attraction, right? There were other pictures in the newsletter of, him re- of them reading the Christmas story and of the, the little gifts that they gave the kids as a celebration of Jesus. But then listen to how Brian goes on. This is what I quoted back to Brian. However, so despite all the celebration of Jesus' birth and, and the success of that, the longer we are here the more I am convinced that one of the most valuable things we have to offer is simply that of our presence. In in a land devoid of the gospel, Christ in us is the hope of glory. So while strategy is important and programs can be helpful, there is no substitute for presence over time. This, this, this family's been in the missionary field for years, doing the things, doing the things, right? Building, building. And he says it becomes more apparent all the time that there's nothing more important than our presence in their lives. And I want to read or, or point out one thing here, because we sang a song today, right? We are. The, word, the words that song said, we are your church and we are the hope of earth. And I'm like, really? Isn't Jesus the hope of earth? Brian says a very similar thing. In a land void of the gospel, Christ in us is the hope of glory. And I'm like, wow. I wrote, I said, I quoted him back and I said, Brian, those words are so powerful. The longer you spend in, as a Christian, I won't say a ministry, but as a Christian, the more you realize that your presence matters, that your care for one another and those who don't yet know Christ matters. Um, some of the other pictures that I noticed in the pictures, these children with their eyes looking toward the Schraders, whether it's their daughters 
or their son or their, or their his wife when they're reading, they're all just looking and you can almost see the wonder in their eyes. What is this family on about? But they're on about the gospel. They're loving God's people, though they don't yet believe. So what does it look like then? Like, what's our responsibility if we're going to, I love the idea of evangelism and sharing the gospel, but what does it look like? And I'm going to share one of my favorite stories from the book of Acts, and I think I've preached this a lot already, so I apologize. But we're going to turn to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read two verses, 4 and 5 real quick, and we're going to jump down to um, verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. Those are the two verses I want to set up here. This, this verse, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, encapsulates a word I've used enough that someone said, Bill, what's that word you always used? Uh, diaspora. What does that mean? And I'm like, have I used diaspora enough? People ask what it means. The word diaspora comes from this very passage, those who had been scattered Because the church was in Jerusalem, the church was kind of content to stay there, but the church faced persecution, and then they were just flung into the nations. They fled for their lives. As a matter of fact, Peter was one of the only people who stayed behind in Jerusalem, but everyone else just got scattered into the wind. I love the story of Philip, by the way, here, because it says says that the diaspora went, and it says that they shared, they evangelicaled, they evangelized with the word. So like, no matter who you were, if you were a believer in Christ and you were scattered, you were sharing the word of God. And I don't think they were all out there preaching the word. I think they were sharing Christ, the word. But then it says this, and Philip um, carousoed, or he proclaimed publicly Christ. And so he has a unique call in this, Philip, I love it. Why? Because if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, so you should check me on this, Philip was appointed as a table waiter in Acts 6. He was one who, when Paul says, hey, we've got to minister the word, we can't take time to wait tables, let's appoint some faithful men who can wait tables faithfully, and Philip was appointed there, I'm almost positive. And so um, he goes from being a, a servant in Jerusalem to being scattered to the nations and proclaiming Christ there. The word proclaim means to make Christ known publicly. How does he do it? Look at verse 26 with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to kind of go verse by verse a little bit here. So Philip, who's, who's scattered out now, he's part of the diaspora, he's proclaiming Christ, is first of all listening to God. Look at what it says. An angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now, you might say, well, that's because Philip is special and the angel of the Lord is speaking to Philip. But I also believe that Philip was paying attention <laughs> to what God was doing. And he was listening to God not just for um, the details of his life, nor just for the overarching plan of his life, but for both. Look at what the word says. Very specifically, the angel says to Philip, go on the south road, the desert road. Why would this word say that? Is it not the normal way you go to Gaza from Jerusalem? What's going on? Very specifically, God is guiding Philip's path. There are people who listen specifically for God. Philip does. But also, there's a whole journey in here from Jerusalem to Gaza. You're going to go there. Why am I making a big deal of this? Look at verse 27. So when he started out on his way, he met the Ethiopian eunuch. 
and an important official in charge of the treasure, uh, treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So he's got this total journey going to Gaza. He's got specific instructions of how he gets there. But even still, while he's obeying God in these large and small ways in his own life, and church, I want to say, I'm not even, I can't have, there's no understanding from the word that Philip knew anything would happen on the way to Gaza. <laughs> like, the, it gets recorded for us because it's a great story. But he's just being faithful when God gives him an opportunity. As he starts out on his way, he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's read on. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home from Jerusalem, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Look at here again, 29. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So Philip is listening to God. Philip is being guided by the spirit of God, and, and you'll see it. He obeys because if he didn't obey that moment, then he wouldn't, the rest of the story wouldn't have happened. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man uh, reading Isaiah the prophet. I'm going to stop. Okay, so I told you things about Philip. He's listening to God. He's letting God guide his life in small and big ways. He thinks that there's no thing too small, no thing too big for God. And then as he's being obedient in his own life, he hears the Spirit say, hey, go do this thing, and he does that thing. Not only, though, is Philip listening to God, but Philip is listening to the Ethiopian eunuch. He could have gone by the chariot and just, you know, got closer and said, well, I did what you told me to do. But when he gets there, he's attending to whatever God would have for him. Now, you might say, well, that's not fair because he shows up and the eunuch is reading Isaiah the prophet. Like, what a give me for Philip. But if he hadn't been paying attention to not just God, not just the plan, not just the spirit, but the people around him, he would have missed the opportunity. But Philip is paying attention. He's listening to God, the Holy Spirit, and people. I, I want to stop here, and, and I wonder, do we recognize, and this is an idea I've had for a while, that our life ought to be full of three-way conversations, right? We, we worship a triune God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, one God, right, manifests in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but there's an opportunity as believers that our life ought to be filled with three-way conversations. Why? I want to say this right now. I want to confess to you that too often my life devolves into two-way conversations. It doesn't usually go super well. I'm talking to someone. I'm listening to someone. I'm talking back to someone. And then sometimes it comes an argument or a debate. And one thing I forget to do is ask, God, what are you doing here? God, why is this bothering me so much? God, how is this person hurting right now? I've had someone tell me recently about how someone was so offensive, man. It was just crazy. And, 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 and you can get on that board and you say, yeah, it's terrible. But isn't the spiritual question, and I don't mean spiritual like spiritual. I mean spiritual like spiritual question, what's really happening here? And Philip's on the desert road, he's being obedient, he's running beside the chariot like he's told to, and he could have said, well, this is the whole issue, but he's like, what's really happening right now? We ought to, in our lives, 
be, I'm saying this to myself, have more three-way conversations. Talking to you, you're talking to me, we're listening to God. In the church, if nowhere else, we ought to be talking to one another and listening to God. Not assuming, not judging, not jumping, but waiting to see what God is doing. Paying attention to the Holy Spirit. And I'll say it again as I move on from this, I fail all too often at listening to God in these moments. Well, Philip doesn't, why he's one of my heroes of the Bible. He listens and he says, do you understand, this is in verse uh, 30, what you're reading? How can I, he answered, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip up to come and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? little recap here on, the, on the, the, the eunuch. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was now heading home, and he had that, you know, post-Bible study, post-church um, camp, <laughs> you know what I mean? Those moments you come, you leave a spiritual place, and you're like, I'm going to read my Bible. Like, that's where this guy's at. And he reads this, and he says, I don't understand it. It's talking about himself or someone else. And listen to verse 35. And I just want to praise God for his equipping of his people Then Philip began from that very passage of Scripture and told him what? The good news about Jesus. I want to point out why. Because I want you to know that God equips you. God equips you for moments like that. I mean, can you imagine Philip was in there in the chariot and he's like, boy, I wish Paul was here. Or I, 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 Paul might have been converted yet. I wish Peter was here. <laughs> Lord, why did you send me? You could have sent Peter. You could have sent Timmy. You could have sent anybody. Why am I? But no, Philip, in his relationship with God in the three-way conversation, begins. And I don't want to give Philip credit for being wise. I want to give God credit for imparting his wisdom to Philip in the moment to unpack the scriptures from that place and explain Jesus. He was talking about Jesus. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, you know the story, they came to some water, and the eunuch said to Philip, here is some water, why should I not be baptized? And, they, and he gave the orders to stop the chariot. So I want you to see the eunuch is in charge. There's water, I'm going to be baptized, stop the, stop the bus. They stop. Then Philip and eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. Praise God. What an awesome moment. And for all the good stuff in this passage, and you know this about me already probably, my favorite thing is what happens next. 
Because Philip is in the right place, the right time. He's listening to God's Holy Spirit. He's obedient. He takes the opportunity. He just says, it's me. I'm in here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what I can. And the Lord uses him in that way. He gets to baptize the eunuch as a believer in Jesus Christ on his way home from Jerusalem at worship. He gets to baptize him. And look, look at what happens next. It says, uh, oh, I missed it here. Oh, here we go, here we go. Um, 39, I think. My eyes are getting old. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. <laughs> it's my favorite part of the story. Now, it says Philip appears later, so like, you think he like transported, teleported. But I love the idea that this was Philip's moment with the Ethiopian eunuch. That was it. He did what he was called to do. Man, if I'd have been Philip and I had baptized that, I'd be like, okay, now I gotta make a plan for you. I gotta figure out what's gonna happen next in your life. I gotta get you in a Bible study. I gotta help you. We gotta meet for coffee for a while and you know, we need to figure this. I would want, and no, that's not what happened and it's just one story, but it says that as they came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit took Philip away and the eunuch never saw him again. Matter of fact, you almost get the idea the eunuch Forgot all about Philip. What does the word say? And as he's he taken away from there, it says, he did not see him again, but the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. What happened? He was free. <laughs> he was free. It wasn't about what Philip thought should happen. It wasn't about whatever was gonna happen next. He was free. Do you know um, right now in uh, Ethiopia, there are still um, Christians who claim to be the first disciples of Jesus? Ethiopian Christians. I wonder, does he, that, was that what happens? He goes back. You won't believe what I've learned. You know, you won't believe who I met. Oh, you met a guy named Philip? No, I met a guy named Jesus. Let me explain it to you from scripture. He's free in Christ. Philip is free to continue to minister. And that's how the story goes. Set free. Moving on. Um, One more thing to unpack here. I want to encourage you today to never doubt the impact you've had on someone else's life. Right? Philip doesn't get to see the end result of the Ethiopian eunuch's faith, for good or for bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I thought he was a believer, but now he did something else. You know, I'm just being like how life is sometimes, right? It, it was, it, here's what I want to say. It was never about Philip. But never doubt the impact that you've had on someone else's life as part of the diaspora, as part of God's scattering. You might ask a question this morning, well, why do I have this job? Or why am I in this situation? Or why would God allow this to happen? But it seems that he is wiser than us and we may be having impacts that we could have had no other way. And here's the thing, church, we may never know it. 
we may never know it. I was telling someone the other day my story of how I came to faith, and um, I wasn't getting all into that part. What I felt compelled to share was the reality that many people had shared the gospel with me while I rejected it to their face. And all I know about that is every time I've gotten near the vicinity where those people, they were actually doing the track thing, I've always shared in those communities, in case you were there, <laughs> know that God worked. <laughs> well, not that night, they might protest. No, but he worked. And when he worked, I remembered all the faithful ministers of the gospel who were begging me to repent of my sins and be saved. Never doubt the impact that God is having. I was talking to a friend of mine. They said, I try, I've been trying and trying, and I don't think it's having any effect. How do you know? They said, they, they was rejected. They rejected me. How do you know it's had no effect? Maybe you've done the exact thing that God has called you to do, and that's enough. And the Lord's taken you away and taken them on their journey. So how is God using you in his diaspora, his scattering, his planting of his disciples? Do you trust him enough to believe he's doing his work like he promised? So the catch-22 in the life of a disciple is it's hard and it might not work. <laughs> or it might not seem like it's working in the moment. I, I, I was... We're going to go back um, to, uh, i share a verse from Luke, and then we're going to go back to John and close there. But I was amazed when I was thinking about this, that in um, Luke 9 and 10, Jesus sends out 12 disciples, and then 72, we talked about that week one. But one of the instructions he gives in the middle of both of those sendings is, if you go and you share the gospel there, and no one's hearing it, just shake the dust off your feet and leave. Just move on. If people aren't willing to receive the gospel, don't, that's okay. You should almost expect it. Why would Jesus give instructions for his disciples to go, I'm out. I've been obedient. I did it. I'm leaving. I think it's because Jesus knows that being a disciple of his is hard and can be overwhelming if you think you have to force a result, but you don't, you did your part, and you're out. I did what I called to do. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I'm out. If you're not receiving it, that's okay. I'm out. Look at this verse from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 10, 16. I think we have it on the screens up here. We can pull it. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, whoever listens to you What's the word say? Listens to me. Whoever rejects you, what's the word say? Rejects me. Whoever rejects me, what's the word say? Rejects the one who sent me. Jesus' words. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not rejecting you, rejecting me. Don't take it personally. As a matter of fact, um, uh, I don't have it in here, but, oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that when we're, when we're being rejected, Jesus says the same thing. He says, um, he says, if they treated me this way, of course they're going to treat you that way. 
because you're like me, and that's okay. I ask you to turn to John 15. And we'll wrap up here in John. Uh, John 15, verse um, 18 through 21. Oh, yeah, here it is. It says, if the, word, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would have loved you as its own. <laughs> but as it is, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If they obey my teaching, they will obey your teaching as well. They will treat you this way because of my namesake, because they do not know the one who has sent me. Jesus' words, it's not about you. They're rejecting me. I don't mean to say that in some highfalutin way of like, you know, it hurts. We do care. But ultimately, it's not up to us. We cannot save anyone. And if people aren't hearing and responding to the gospel, that's a them and Jesus thing. That's a them and God the Father thing. As a matter of fact, in the middle of this, Jesus says this, a servant, you remember I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. In Matthew 10, 24 and 25, he says this, isn't it not enough that a student would be like his teacher, that a servant would be like his master that's enough. It's enough that we be like Jesus, that we, we continually return that conversation about what he's doing in people's lives, but it's not up to us, and I want you to be free in that reality today. I just want you to know that our faith is our responsibility with Christ but, and our opportunity to share the gospel, but we are not bound by the results of others. We're not bound by the response of others. We're going to end where we started in, in John 21. This is after Jesus just talks about that, do you love me? I want you to see the next thing that he, he addresses. Uh, let's see, John 21, verse 18. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Listen to this. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple from whom, whom Jesus loved was following them as well. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, is it I who is going to betray you or who is going to betray you? And then Peter saw him and he said, Lord, what about him? <laughs> and Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Listen to the word. You follow me. Because that's the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. <laughs> but Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? I, I love this because Peter has just been reinstated for ministry. And Jesus is walking with them. And he's like, and it's going to be hard 
Peter. As a matter of fact, this is what he says. Peter, it's going to cost you your life. Follow me. Do you remember how this started with Jesus? Hey, follow me. Simple invitation. Now, at post-resurrection, death is coming. Follow me. You can imagine and you get empathetic with Peter here saying, yeah, but, but, but what about that one? <laughs> what kind of death is he going to die? <laughs> what about those over there? <laughs> what about Bobbin's Lord? And what does he say? What is it to you? What do you care? No. You must, all the word says it, you, Peter, must follow me. It's our call. It's our call. I told you I want you to be free in Christ, to be free to share and to be free to let go of the results. But you follow Jesus. And I'm not just telling you, I'm saying me, follow Jesus. One of the problems often is that we burden one another with all these things that don't belong to us. No, we know Jesus, we follow Jesus. That's the call. So I wonder, do you find yourself taking too much or too little responsibility for the faith or the life of other people? Do you feel like it's all your responsibility to make sure they're saved? It's all your responsibility to make sure that they're right choices. It's all your responsibility to make sure. Or do you feel like it's not my problem at all? I think the discipleship answer is in the middle, that we have opportunities and obligations to share Christ, to, to be encouragers, but ultimately we are not responsible. Christ is. How do you do this then? How do you live this life of a disciple, catch 22, looking for folks to come to know Christ? First thing, you gotta trust Jesus yourself. And I know you go, well, I already trust Jesus for my life. Yeah, trust Jesus for results. Trust Jesus for your friends. Trust Jesus for your family. Trust Jesus for your, you know, um, your neighbors. Just trust Jesus in it. Because he says, he will cause us to be fishers of humans. Ultimately, every one of us belongs to him. All of us. And what is it to us, what he does? Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we are your people, created in your image, in this earth, and we seek to follow after you. We pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to the things you've called us to do, that in our life, it would be conversing with you all the time, that there'd be no part of our life that we would leave you out of, that we would act as if you're not present in that part but we would invite you into everything. And no matter how joyous or how dark or how great or how small it is, that we would say to you, Lord, what are you doing here? What does this mean? And that we would be listening for your reply and obedient in the things that you call us to do or not do. And then, Father, to confess that in the ways that we've taken some inappropriate a responsibility for outcomes as if we can do anything of ourselves, we repent. You have to do it for your glory and for the name of Jesus. You have to glorify yourself and we get to just be appreciative and worship you for your glory. May you continue to work in our lives 
I pray, Father, that the burden is rightly borne among us, that, that we, would have, we would neither be indifferent about the gospel, nor would we feel like we have to save the world, but we can be free. Your words, Father, that if we belong to your Son, we are free indeed. Lord, set us free. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.